ball is high. It is far. It is gone to win the game. The Mets are on their way back. World champions for the 27th time. Home plate for all things Major League Baseball. This is the Nosebleeds Podcast on WFUV Sports. And welcome in for what should be the last episodes of Nosebleeds this season, pending a major move in New York this offseason. Boy, are we excited to be back this week to talk some more about a sport we all know and love. My name is Brendan Shorey, and I'm joined here today by Dan Bartels and Brian Raybacks with Tucker Austin behind the glass. The season has officially ended, and what a show we have for you guys today. However, before we get into it, Brian, Dan, how are you guys doing today? This is the last, potentially last, nosebleeds of the year. There could oh. there could be another episode down the road, but yeah, it's kind of a bittersweet day because there's a lot to talk about, and we got to get into the World Series that ended last week and everything that's coming up in this offseason, but yeah, kind of a somber Summer day where we say goodbye to nosebleeds for a little bit, and no one, no one can be happy about that. No, I'm right there with you, Brian. It's a sad and somber day, but to bright times ahead for both teams, hopefully here in New York. We'll and, see. You know, Brendan, I know the Texas Rangers fan that you are coming off that World Series win. We'll get into it, but there's certainly bright times ahead for you as well. Agreed, agreed. And a he's sad he's day living in the present of those <laughs> bright times. Are you <laughs> yeah. kidding me? A sad day it may be for you too, but I cannot be happier we are still on this episode, so there's that to be excited about, even though it's the last episode. We're going to go ahead and jump right in here. First thing I want to talk about, World Series recap. Mm. Rangers defeat the Diamondbacks 4-1, win their first one in franchise history. They took game one at home, lost game two, and then went on to win all three in Arizona. Corey Seager wins World Series MVP. Uh, his second World Series MVP got he's got one in both league both leagues now he's the second player ever to win one in both the American League and National League. He's the fourth player ever to win two total, second position player ever to win two total. Dan Bryan, I want to get you guys' thoughts. What did you think about the World Series? Uh, well, first of all, congrats to the Rangers. My thoughts on the World Series in 2023: hated it, <laughs> hated it. really really bad series. Listen. I, I came on this podcast and I was an advocate of this is kind of a lame World Series where it's Rangers, D-backs, and it should be lopsided because the D-backs won 84 games, but they found a way to get there, so maybe they'll compete, but that's not really what we got. Rangers easily, easily take care of business in five games. A couple close games in Arlington, Texas. Game one was very entertaining, and then the Diamondbacks won a blowout in game two. But then all three games in the desert, the Rangers just had those the whole way where it just wasn't really that entertaining. And it was the lowest rated World Series in a very long time. So not a lot of people really seemed inclined to watch it. But I'll focus on the Texas Rangers. This team was really good and really exciting all postseason long. And they did it with their offense. They were really strong just from top to bottom. I kept saying it, that whole lineup is just really, really good and really deep, and they hit their way to a World Series championship. The Rangers are a perfect example of a team that 
really struggled for a while, just never was able to find it for an extended period of time. But then ownership has the right mentality. They bring in the right players, spend money in the right places. You talk about the contracts they gave to Seager and Semyon and how those are paying off right now. And then even Ivaldi and DeGrom, who wasn't even pitching from April on for what they were able to get out of him. And then hiring the right manager, Bruce Bochy replacing Chris Woodward, and then making good deals at the deadline. Jordan Montgomery, even Aroldis Chapman, who didn't implode in the playoffs. Shockingly. I know, right? So good for him. The Rangers just really kind of did everything right, and everything seemed to lead up to this moment. And, yeah, Dan, they had their first championship in franchise history, so a lot went right, and I think that should be celebrated. Yeah, certainly. Uh, you got to credit what the Rangers were able to do. I think out of any team this postseason, they had the hardest path to get to the World Series, the Rays, the Orioles, the Astros, and then, yeah, you beat you know the D-backs, which weren't the best competition, but they put up a fight for what it's worth for some of those games. And this is a D-backs team that lost 110 games two years ago. So, you know, credit to them. We'll give all the credit in the world to Texas, absolutely. But, you know, Torrey Lovello sticking with that rebuild, you know, manager of the year in 2017. And then, as I said, 110 wins two years ago. You guys lost, what, 80-something, 90-something games last year? Last year we lost 94. Right. So, I mean, in that respect, it was kind of a cool World Series to see two teams that really weren't expected to be there end up being there. It's kind of the the theme we're seeing in baseball nowadays where you don't have to spend the most money. And believe me, I'm a Mets fan saying this. This kills me to say this. You don't have to spend the most money to get deep into the playoffs, and that's unfortunate. But that might be the brand of baseball we're starting to see. And for the Rangers, just really quick, clinching their first World Series title in franchise history is the fourth Dallas Fort Worth team um, in all four big uh, leagues around the sports world to win a championship, um, joining Boston and Los Angeles as uh, the only other cities to win their championship since 1995. So pretty cool. You guys are building a really good sports program over there, you know, and what Texas has been able to do. And they're going to be back next year. You know, they're not going, they're not anywhere. going anywhere. They're not mm-hmm. going anywhere. you got Avaldi coming back. Scherzer coming back. DeGrom should be healthy midway through next year. Uh, Hopefully resign Montgomery. Right. So the sky's the limit for the Rangers, and all power to you guys. Really good run this year, and it was really fun to watch. And, you know, Brian doesn't think so, but I, I do think it <laughs> well, was a fun well, World Series. L- l- listen, I'm, I'm ha- I was happy to see the Rangers ride to the World Series, but th- – I the my frustration just lies with the Phil, the Phillies mainly. Right. If the Phillies made it to that World Series and we got a Rangers Phillies World Series, would have been fun. I yeah. think that would have been awesome. So I was a little disappointed with Rangers Diamondbacks. And now I don't know if you guys saw. I'm getting called out in Lou Orlando's Ram articles where <laughs> he's taught he's writing about me not enjoying the World Series. And oh. it's like, yeah, you know what? I complained about it and it ended up being a bad series. So I was kind of right. But the Rangers. No, nothing against them. They took care of the Astros and the Rays in the playoffs, so I'm I'm good. I'm happy with them winning. And I think one one thing that we kind of need to look at is is how October is just a different ball game. I mean, you look at this Rangers team in the regular season; they went 40 and 41 on the road. They come into the playoffs; they go 11 and 0 on the road. They take four on the road against Houston. They take two on the road against Tampa. Well, let me start from the beginning. Two on the road against Tampa. There we go. Two on the road against Baltimore four on the road against Houston, and then three on the road against Arizona. In the desert. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, the fact that they were able to win every single game on the road, and then you look at the players that were key contributors. You have Corey Seager, who's been a proven playoff caliber guy. And then you look at Avaldi. He got hurt halfway through the season, did not have a good second half of the season by any means. Playoff time comes around, he locks in. Montgomery, playoff time comes around, 
he locks in. And so I think the the one thing that we see is, and we can see it with Arizona too, 84 wins in the regular season. They found their groove. They hit their stride. And then October, they, they went all the way through. They beat the Phillies. They beat the Brewers. They beat the Dodgers. Like These are all great teams that just didn't weren't able to put it together in October. And I think what we can conclude is that even though a team may not be as good in the regular season, October is a different game, and that's kind of what we saw this year. The Rangers felt built for this October stage. When you look at their lineup and starting rotation, we don't need to hash out how great their lineup can hit the baseball. When you look at Seager, Semyon, I don't think we've even mentioned Adolis Garcia yet because mm-hmm. he got hurt in those last Evan couple Carter. of World Series games. Evan Carter came out of nowhere and became one of their best hitters down the stretch. And even like Nathaniel Lowe's hitting seventh, like they have such a good lineup. And then look at their rotation too. And this is without some key guys that they thought were going to be factors like DeGrom, you're expecting to be your ace in the staff. But then when he gets hurt and their pitching needs some help, they pivot and they get Jordan Montgomery and Max Scherzer at the trade deadline. The only weakness for this Rangers team and the thing to be concerned about was their bullpen. And for really the entire like postseason, I was just waiting for like, okay, when is this bullpen that was really bad in the late August and early September, when is it going to collapse? But it, it kind of didn't, aside from Game 5 against the Astros in Arlington, where Jose Leclerc, for the most part, was just locked down as a closer. Aroldis Chapman did his job for <laughs> the most part, which somehow, some way, <laughs> he found a way to do it and was a pretty good contributor to a World Series winning team. Spores, who had like a five ERA in the regular season, just became one of their like top guys out of the bullpen in the playoffs. It was just really their bullpen just stayed strong. And when you look at key things that you have to factor into teams winning a World Series, the bullpen was just locked down for the most part. And I think it played a huge role in Texas coming out on top in October. Yeah, it certainly did. I mean, and in terms of what we saw, I mean, even. John Gray, we've talked about him, how he came in in the first game, one and a third, came in game three, one and two thirds, one hits, one hit each outing. Uh, you, They wanted it more at the end of the day, and there's no other way to sugarcoat it. You can't cut it any other way. But what we would have wanted more was a Phillies and Rangers World Series, just for ratings alone, and you touched on it earlier, Brian, you're 100% right. The first three games of the Fall Classic yielded the worst TV numbers in recorded history. Just six years ago, Fox's 27 World Series, 2017 World Series, had 18.78, and you know, in Game Seven, um, 28.24. Those numbers weren't even close to what yeah. we saw in this playoff. So, you know, we always could wish for more things. We always could wish for better things. But again, this Texas team was a juggernaut the whole way through, and they proved it. Yeah, and they and they'll they'll for sure be back. I mean, this wasn't supposed to be their year. They were supposed to. The goal was to to go out and get starting pitching before this year. And then before this next coming season, the goal was to worry about bullpen then. Somehow the bullpen held it together throughout the playoffs. Somehow. We were Leclerc, <laughs> Leclerc is special, man. His stuff is really good. He he did play really well in the playoffs. He, aside from that one game, he was pretty locked down. I do want to get into, we talked about some of these key players from the Rangers who also were nominated for some awards this year. Oh, yeah. BBWAA Awards. Have the finalists have come out? I want let's I want to go through them, hear you guys' thoughts, kind of get your picks on who shall win each award. AL MVP. I I think this is is a pretty easy one. I do want to point out two of these candidates are Rangers players. Mm. Probably not going to win it, but two of them are. You got Shohei Otani, Corey Seager, and Marcus Simeon. Uh, Brian, I'll let you go first. 
Who do you think is taking this one? Yeah, it's not going to be anyone not named Shohei Otani. <laughs> and, I, and I'm sorry for Corey Seager. Like, Corey Seager had a crazy season hitting for a really high average and everything, but Otani just, you can't give it to anyone other than him. He hit 44 homers, and that's all with missing pretty much the entire month of September. So he was just dominant. He had a really good year on the mound, too, and... I know he missed the whole month, and you can throw the injury like, yeah, he was hurt at the end, but Seager also missed 40 games, so that kind of hurts him. I think if he was healthy the whole way, he'd have more of a shot, but there's no way Otani's not going to win his second MVP award. There's just no chance. Yeah, there's no chance, absolutely. We knew that in probably July that he was going to win. I mean, he led the league in slugging, 654 OPS over 1,000, WRC Plus at 180, the 44 dingers. I mean... He is a unicorn that we have never before seen in this sport, and I get it that he might be compromised on the pitching side for next year, but you're still going to get 35 home runs from this guy. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, what he does, and then he returns as a pitcher, I mean, whatever team gets him this offseason, we'll talk about that later in the show, but they are going to be blessed for many years to come. Yeah, and I mean, y'all y'all kind of touched on his hitting stats, but I mean, you look at his pitching side too. He had an ERA just over three a whip just over one, an opponent batting average at 184 as a starting pitcher. Dominant. Wow. Not even as a relief pitcher, as a starting pitcher. As as much as it hurts me to say this, it's going to Otani. It's yeah, going to Otani. Absolutely. I mean, he's, he's one of a kind. He pitches, he hits, and he's one of the best on both sides. Otani's taking it home. Moving on, the Cy Young Award. We got, for the AL, for the AL, we have Garrett Cole, Kevin Gosman, Sonny Gray, I'll start with Dan this time. Dan, who are you picking and why is it Garrett Cole? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it's definitely going to be Garrett Cole. Um, shout out Kevin Gosman for what he was able to do and Sonny Gray, too. It came out of nowhere. We all kind of wrote Sonny Gray off, and now he's writing back. But I, I don't know. I think Garrett Cole, just all year long, you kind of saw it. Opponent batting average at 206. No one had a better whip than him under one at .98. Anytime you can get your whip under one, you deserve to win some award. And it's just, I don't know, Garrett Cole, he was the ace of the Yankees squad. He never let up all year long. He was there when you needed him. And he's going to win the Cy Young Award as a result. His first, right? Yep, his first. And this is the most upsetting thing about the way the Yankees season went and all the issues that they had and missing the playoffs and barely finishing above 500 is that you wasted a Cy Young season out of Garrett Cole. Out of all the things that went wrong, Garrett Cole was everything you wanted, and this is the type of season you wanted him to have when he signed that huge contract in the offseason before the 2020 season. And just looking at all of his numbers, I think that what's most impressive about Cole and his whole time as a Yankee has just been how he's been the pinnacle of health. He's never, never been hurt, and he just eats, you feel like, 200 innings every single year, 209 innings this year, and then you just look at his 15-4 and record, 2.63 2.63 ERA, 165 ERA plus, 222 strikeouts. He is going to lock up this Cy Young Award. And it's pretty crazy with how elite he's been in his career that he's never won this award. He right. had a crazy 2019 season, and Justin Verlander, his teammate at the time, took it over him. So Garrett Cole is going to finally get a Cy Young Award under his belt, which is huge for his legacy, too, and his long-term status in his career. So I'm happy for him, and he's going to— cruise to this award he ended the year with a two-hit shutout against toronto oh yeah kind of just hammering it home even more you know just (laughs) i i I will say as much as much as it does hurt brian you said this as much as it does hurt to waste a season like that it was a bright spot for the year it really was in a season like this i mean you go 82 and 80 you miss the playoffs 
but you have a pitcher who wins a Cy Young. It's kind of something that you can that's going to get you from this season to next season. It's something you can look forward to. As Garrett Cole proved that he can pitch for what he was paid. He's an ace. Yeah, he he proved that he can do it. He he'll hopefully do it again next year. But now you have some some sort of expectations for next season. It's something to build off next season. All these people that were saying that Garrett Cole wasn't an ace in the middle of 2021 when all the spire attack happened and then last year when he was giving up a lot of home runs and his ERA was in like the mid threes and people were saying, Nestor Cortez is actually the ace of this staff. No, he's not. It's always <laughs> going to be Garrett Cole and he proved it this year winning the Cy Young. Yeah, and I mean, you t- talk about pitchers, Tanner Beebe, one of the candidates for AL Rookie of the Year. It's Tanner Bibby, Tristan Casas, Gunnar Henderson. Um, great seasons by all three. Um, sure. All three, I mean, none of them played to um, what you would expect from an AL Rookie of the Year, honestly. It's kind of a little bit of a down year when you look at stats alone. Mm-hmm. I will say if you the eye test, they do pass the eye test, though. And so uh, I'll hand it to you, Dan. Which one do you pick? This one's tough. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to have to give it to Gunnar Henderson here. He came into the year number one overall prospect, and he lived up to it. He led all rookies, 28 home runs, 66 extra base hits. He had a 52% hard hit rate, and that was ranked among top 15 among qualified players. That's throughout the whole league, not just rookies. So, And, and we saw what the Orioles kind of did this year, similar to the Rangers, similar to the Diamondbacks. They kind of came out of nowhere and won a lot of games for squads that we did not expect to win a lot of games. So, uh, I don't know. When hype meets reality, um, I'm going to have to give it to Gunnar Henderson here. And Again, this is one of the tougher awards to call because Casas has been very good. And same thing with BB. But to me, I'm giving it to Gunnar. Brian, what about you? Yeah, I lean to Gunnar Henderson too, but it's closer than I initially like realized between Casas and Henderson where Casas hasn't beaten... OPS, slugging, on-base percentage, all that. But Gunnar Henderson, his defense really just makes up for a huge chunk of what he can do. He's got a 6.3 war compared to Tristan Casas' 2.2. And just like the way that Henderson played down the stretch, he got off to a little bit of a tough start during the year, but just what he meant to this Orioles team that was so good all year long and how he's a focal part at the top of that lineup, I think it's got to be Gunnar Henderson, despite the effort that Casas put in. You got Jackson Holiday coming up the pike, too. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. a lot of excitement. Crazy that team is young not done team. yet. Lots of talent. I'm going to be a little different, guys. Oh. I'm going to take Tanner Bibby. Okay. Really? Went 10 and 4, 298 ERA, a whip just over one, a 230 opponent batting average. He was one of the, the bright spots. For this Guardian team. The former Savannah Banana. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. He was one of, especially down the stretch, this this playoff Guardians team. Or, sorry, just missed the playoffs mm. Guardians team. It was a close race with the Twins. But um, Tanner Bybee kind of really, he stepped up uh, for that team. He was one of their, their better pitchers towards that end of the season. He kind of almost took over as not an ace, but he was definitely a good second option. Uh, for that team, and I, I think the stats just, I, I can't really give it to anyone else. If you're a rookie and you have an ERA under three, yeah, I think that's very impressive. So I'm gonna go ahead and give it to Bibby. You can, you can make the case for it. I mean, he had a stellar year on the mound for a 24 year old too. He was awesome for that Guardians rotation. But I mean, I just 
the what Gunnar Henderson just adds as an offensive and defensive player and just the way he got hot at the end of the season and really propelled that Orioles team. That's yeah. why I give him the edge, but no discredit to BB at all. He was stellar on the mound. Especially when Shane Bieber, their ace, was not an ace this year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just wasn't. Six and six with a three point eight oh. So you can obviously stand out when the lights are dimmed on other players for sure. Yeah, and he, he really stepped up. Talking about stepping up, manager of the year. You it's it's a three man race. Bochi, Kevin Cash, and Brandon Hyde of the Orioles. Bochi Took the Rangers to the World Series and won it. The Rangers went 68-94 last year. We mentioned that earlier. Dan, you mentioned it. The Rangers lost over 90 games. Kevin Cash with the Rays led them to a 99-63 record. Started out the season on a 13-game winning streak. And then Brandon Hyde took this very young, talented Orioles team to over 100 wins. Dan, Dan, who's your pick? (laughs) Listen. I, I know you're going to go Bochi, and I, I think he could be very well deserving of the award, but i got to give it to Kevin Cash here of the Rays. They won 99 games, one shy of their franchise record. He made the postseason in the fifth straight year with the lowest payroll. One of the I think it is the lowest payroll in yep. baseball. So I don't know. I, it's a tough one to call because Bochi, yes, we all know the name, but we've known Kevin Cash for a while now and what he's been able to do, and they punched their ticket to October in April when they went 13-0 and beginning the year. That's basically what it was. They, they had the hottest start out of any team. You could look to them and say, all right, this team's going to the postseason, whether they'd be a wild card, whether they'd be whatever. You, you had a feeling, and especially how good the AL East was all year long. So, I don't know. No team had started 13-0 and before the 1987 Brewers. There's a lot of history on the side of Kevin Cash. Yes, there's a lot of history on the side of Bruce Bochy, but... I, I don't know. I, I kind of want to be different on this one. I think I'm going Kevin Cash. Well, it's interesting. I don't know what direction you're going to go in, but I think this is one of the awards where I think we're severely going to end up differing because I'm going to go Brandon Hyde. Okay. I think with the way that this Orioles team was supposed to be, I kind of saw this as a they might be better this year, but 101 wins, I didn't see that coming at all. And just – what he was able to do all year. The Orioles, the Orioles were the best team in the American League. That was never supposed to happen. Exactly. And I know Bruce Bochy is going to get helped out a lot with going to the World Series, but the, the, the writers, they vote on these awards after the regular season. So it excludes all postseason from the equation. doesn't matter how far the Orioles, Rays, or Rangers went. I think just based off the regular season, the Orioles were really impressive, and Brandon Hyde is just proving to just catapult the team from the bottom of everything a couple years ago to now where they are now. I think it's been really impressive, which is why I'm going to pick him for American League Manager of the Year. See, I... My my thought is that it's between Bochi and Hyde. Yes. And I think that I can definitely see the argument for Hyde. I can see the argument for both sides. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go Bochi. I think the main difference for me here is that if you look at these teams a year ago, the Orioles won 83 games, had a winning record, whereas the Rangers lost over 90 games. Ah, but, like, the Rangers spent a lot of money, too. Like, yeah. that played a big part of it rather than the manager carrying them a step forward. Like, they got a lot of better players in that room they did they did spend money and I think that I just think the fact that most of the money spent was two years ago if you look mm-hmm. at Simeon Seager sure. it, it happened before this season um I think just the fact that you take a team from a nine from 90 losses to 90 wins and I get that the Orioles had 100 wins but they did have over 80 last year 
that's why that's the the reason I'm giving Bochi the slight edge. Right, Brandon Hyde turned Aaron Hicks's career around. So, but he, he deserves <laughs> man. He deserves an award for, for that, that alone. That's right. <laughs> he, it's a tough one to call though, yeah. for sure. It it definitely will be a close one. This is the one that, at least in the AL, is probably gonna get the most controversy. I agree. It's gonna be the closest one. And like it could be Cash too. He's always just in that conversation with mm-hmm. the way that he operates. And he won. He won two of the past three. Yeah. And so I think he very well could win a third in the last four years, I just think it's going to be between Hyde and Boach. Most likely. We'll see. We will will see. see. We will see. Uh, And now we just talked about all the AL. We're going to flip over to the NL. MVP. Brian, you were talking to me before the show. Mm -hmm. You were on the Mookie Betts train for a while. I was. But then you switched. Then you smartly switched um, to, to Acuna. We have Acuna, Betts, and Freddie Freeman. Brian, why don't you tell me why you think Acuna's winning this? So, I'll first before I tell you why Acuna's going to win, I'm just going to let the people know why I was so honed in on Mookie <laughs> Betts up until the month of up until like mid-September. Throwing him under the bus. Where here. I saw Mookie playing, he first of all elite with the bat. You're looking at a 307 hitter, 987 OPS, 163 OPS plus 39 homers, 107 RBIs, which beats Acuna by one run batted in. So if you factor wow. that in, I know, right? <laughs> that's that's the that's the difference maker, right? But, there. but 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 I looked at a guy like Mookie and just saw he can play right field, and then they could also ask him to play shortstop and second base when he hasn't played that since he was in the minors, and just not only like be competent at the position, but just excel and play yeah. elite defense everywhere. I really factored that in a lot, but Acuna just ran away with it to a point where you can't take it away from him. I mean, he had a four, he had a forty seventy season. You you just don't see that in this day and age. So I was a holdout for a long time, but I finally come to my senses, and I'm picking Acuna. Got to give it to Acuna. I'd be fooling myself if I chose otherwise. I mean, Betts was special. Freeman was special, of course. I was there the night Acuna stole his fiftieth base mm-hmm. when the Mets and Brewers were uh, Braves were playing. He's he's something special, man. He is so fast on the base paths. He's so quick with the bat. He adds an energy to the game, too, that we don't really see. I mean, you see with a couple players now, but it's good that more players are following in Acuna and, you know, Tatis's footsteps and what they've been able to do. He's just special, man. Uh, 70 bases. I get the, the shortening of the base pads were supposed to help players, you know, steal more bases. I didn't expect a 50, Still, you know, 70, 70. Right. Like, 40-70 yeah. season is absolutely insane, and especially how good the Braves were. That that really is another factor in this, unfortunately. But Acuna was the motor that made that Braves team go, along yeah. with Olsen. But Acuna really was. And I think I think a big part. I mean, you mentioned it, it was on the Braves team. If you're the best player on the best team in baseball, in, in the regular season, they they had the most wins, 104 wins. And if you're the best player on that team, it says a lot about you. And I mean, you look at Acuna's stats: 337 batting average. With the OPS at 1.012, he hit 41 homers, knocked in 106, led the MLB with 217 hits, and then he also was part of the 47. He founded the 4070 club. <laughs> Proud founder. <laughs> established 2023. It's yes, insane. yes. And I think just the fact, like, you add up all his accomplishments from this season, I just don't think there's any way he doesn't win it. Especially if you look at, he also played... He played in 159 out of the 162 games. I know. That's pretty crazy, especially when you look at there's not many people who can play all 162 games. Let alone 120. Yeah. Yeah. And then he's out here playing 159 games 
at this high of a level, there's no way anyone else takes it. Acuna should be unanimous. There was a there was a case for Betts at a time. Yes. We can't ignore yes. that. Like there was a case where you could look to Mookie Betts and say, Wow, he's doing everything. There's a chance he could win MVP. But you know, it, the dominoes fell where they fell, and Acuna's going to take home the trophy as a result. And even there were a lot of, like, good candidates. Like, Freddie Freeman had right. a crazy year, too, and we haven't even said his name when, right. like, discussing this award. 331. He, even Matt yeah. even Matt Olson, who mm. just tore the cover off the ball. He's not even nominated for the award. So a lot of good options, but it's got to be Acuna. It's got to be Acuna. And we'll, we'll move on to the Cy Young Award, the NL Cy Young. We got Zach Gallen, Blake Snell. Logan Webb. I'll get us started on this one. I'm going to go with Snell. Mm-hmm. I think it's a pretty obvious choice. Gallen had a great start to the year and then fell off after the All-Star break. Logan Webb was, was decent all year. He wasn't anything special. But then you look at Snell, 225 ERA. Opponents batted 181 against him. Struck out 234 batters this year. And he was dominant at the end of the year. He was absolutely dominant. He would not lose games. He would not give up runs. Teams would fear him if if he was pitching against them. I think it's going to be Snell. I think it's going to be unanimous. Brian, what do you think? I think it's going to be Snell, too. I mean, it is crazy when looking at his numbers. Would you realize how many people he walked? He walked thirteen. He walked thirteen percent of the hitters he faced, which is nuts. Especially if you compare him to Logan Webb, who walked just three percent of the batters he faced. So it is kind of crazy that he did limit a two point two five ERA after all that. So I think he is definitely the clear front runner for Cy Young. But it just does make it interesting when he enters the free agent market. What are teams going to see him as? Do they think he's going to put up this again, or is it just kind of an outlier and he? got a little lucky I don't know but for now Snell's winning Cy Young this year yeah I got to give it to Snell as well I mean Gallon did have the case for a while too but he fell off and honestly in the postseason he put up really good numbers but again that that stuff really isn't factored into these decisions but yeah Snell what he was able to do 2.25 ERA you touched on the walks Brian 99 walks on the year like that, that's that's mind-boggling that's a lot. 234k I mean it's really not a lot though considering you know that's the least amount and uh, I don't know, 2.25 ERA. I don't know. I think Brian, though, it is maybe a um, not uh, an outlier. I don't know if he can sustain this. Uh, we see all the time. I I go back to David Price. I look at really good lefties, and I kind of see the same thing in Snell. And David Price fell off really quickly too. So I don't know, but I do know that probably Snell will win this. It's kind of crazy that Garrett Cole is like finally about to win his first Cy Young, and Blake Snell, who I don't <laughs> think people like look at as one of the most feared pitchers right. in the league, he's about to win his second. Yeah, it's yeah, nuts. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. I take Cole over Snell any day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. easily. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I would too. I mean, he's he's proven himself more than Snell has year year after year. Moving on from the Cy Young, we got NL Rookie of the Year: Corbin Carroll, James Outman, Kodai Senga, Dan. I'll let you take this one first. Who do you have? Let's just say Corbin Carroll. Right, yeah. Okay. Corbin Carroll, first rookie, 2050 <laughs> season. Uh, unbelievable, 25 home runs, 54 stolen bases. Uh, he was special, and he's probably going to win this award. And listen, I don't want to take anything away from Kodai Senga and yeah. the season that he has. because You had a front row seat for it all, Dan. He He really did well on the mound, but... Just the things that Corbin Carroll was able to do. He cemented himself from as the favorite early on in the season, and it was just hard to just take that away from him. So credit to S- Senga is the only one who really puts up somewhat of a case, 
but it, it, Corbin Carroll just is awesome. Yeah. He has to win the award. Yeah, Corbin Carroll's got to run away with this one. Slapping over 50 bags in your rookie year, something you don't see. Difference maker for that team, too. Yeah, yeah, something you don't see many people do. Um, I do want to touch on Senga, though. A lot of people did not expect him to be that good. We were writing him off as a three or four starter in the big leagues. Mm-hmm. After the season that he had this year, dare I say he's an ace in this league? I, I, I really think that. Yeah, like he is special, and he's going to attract a lot of outside attention from Yamamoto and stuff like that. We'll get into it later in the show, but Senga, yeah, really good, good for him. But Corbin Carroll is going to take home this uh, rookie of the year. I was impressed with Senga, just the way he was able to just be dominant down the stretch. Early on in the first two months of the season, he had issues with like control and walking people. There were some games where he's walking five, six batters a game, but that kind of subdued as the season went on. And I think Mets fans, amongst all the hysteria that they had to deal with in 2023 and all the turnover that they're now going to have. Kodai Sango is a really exciting piece, and Mets fans should be excited to go for, in the, for the future. They should. He does have a, he has a very bright future. Last award, manager of the year for the NL, Craig Council, Skip Schumacher, Brian Snicker. Dan, you take this one. Do you have Snicker? I do. Okay. I do. 104 wins. Fourteen. Um, they finished 14 games above the the second NL East um, opponent in the Phillies, the Braves as a whole, record-setting regular season slugging percentage at 501 and matched the all-time mark for homers at 307. So Snicker previously won manager of the year in 2018, and I think he'll win it again in 2023. Yeah, I'm going to go Snicker as well. I mean, I looked at the candidates and didn't wasn't really that like impressed, or at least... Yeah. Kind of, there's no one that jumped out at you, but Snicker won 104 games. Most dominant team in the league in the regular season, so I'm going to give it to him. Yep, most dominant team, best offense in the league, highest slugging percentage, tied the all-time season record for home runs with 307. It shouldn't go to anyone except for Snicker. I'm just really confused why Skip Schumacher even, like, is on the ballot. Like, I don't understand. Like, they got 84 wins. I get it they increased 15 games since their last season, but... Are we just giving the award to, like, the biggest jumps in, like, I, I don't understand why Skip Schumacher of the Marlins, Craig Council I get of the Brewers, absolutely, but I don't know, I, I get it, but this is another one of those awards where it's like, there's a clear front runner, and all the other people are kind of just put on there because, you know, they have to. Yep, and we've we've gone through our picks, but how can you talk baseball and not talk New York baseball? Mm, Yankees, 82-80 and 80 this season, didn't make the playoffs. They've got some free agents. We'll get into that in a minute. I want to start with Aaron Boone. He believes bunting is becoming a bigger part of the game and wants the Yankees to start working more on bunting. Brian, you're a Yankees fan. What do you think about that? Yeah, I can't wait to see Giancarlo Stanton dropping down (laughs) bunts in 2024. That's going to be awesome. I mean, I get what he's saying, but I I was not excited to see, like, that quote because, like, is it is bunting really coming back? Like with the shifts and everything going away, and people hitting for contact more? Like really, I don't know. But just seeing that the Yankees are going to make major changes this year, and it looks like from the Hal Steinbrenner press conference is like, oh, here's the change: we're going to bunt more. Like you got to do more than that. But I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know where this team's going. I'm going to get into them a lot, I'm sure, in a little bit. But that really confused me. Touching on the bunting thing. I'm an advocate of small ball, old school style baseball, okay? And I feel like there's not many of me left in this world. But that being said, the team that bunted the most in 2023, can you guys guess? Diamondbacks. No. 
No. Braves? No. Uh, the Oakland Athletics. Ah. How'd they do? <laughs> there you go. How'd they do? So, uh, again, we, we, we have this idea in our minds as baseball fans that we should return to the old style of the game. And I think that is, there's certainly parts of the game where that is, you know, valid. In terms of bunting, I think, I don't know why the Yankees, you're the Bronx Bombers. You shouldn't be bunting and playing small ball. I get it. Maybe your chemistry hasn't worked or whatever the case may be. But uh, I don't know. It's just a weird comment by Boone. And even Aaron Judge said, like, look into batting average as a stat. Like, look into RBIs as a stat. Well, I get what he's saying there about, like, okay, shifts are gone, so contacts become more of an emphasis. Let's focus on batting average and RBIs more rather than home runs, OPS, yada, 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 which is still very important. So I get what you're saying there, but just the whole bunting thing. It's not how the Yankees are constructed, so they shouldn't be bunting more in 2024. No, no. You have to be constructed a certain way to do it. We saw the Diamondbacks, and they are yeah. built with speed from top to bottom, lots of contact hitters, and that's why it works for them. You you compare them to this Yankees team, it's not the same. No, not It's not day. the same. And it's like the Diamondbacks won 84 games, and they got hot at the right time, but they were the last team to get into the playoffs. So yeah. does it really work? Does it help out that much? I don't know. Not when you have a, not when you have Aaron Jones who's hitting Aaron, Aaron Judge. Judge. Aaron Judge. Whoa. I apologize. I apologize. <laughs> Aaron Judge. Not when you have Aaron Judge who's hitting sixty home runs. Right. Or John Carlos Stanton who's smacking thirty at least. Mm-hmm. And when you have one of the smallest stadiums in the majors where home runs are going to be more, they're going to happen more often. Then you shouldn't be bunting that much i get it you get runners on first and second a big problem with the yankees that frustrated their fans at least two three years ago was ground balls into double plays all over the field basically five times a game that frustrated the heck out of yankee fans so i get two years later maybe they're looking back and saying we get a runner to first we get a runner to second judges coming up in two spots all right let's get a bunt down runners on second and third with only one out maybe we're working something there but if it's just a simple sacrifice bunt that's kind of been taken out of the game drag bunts i wish we saw more of them but if you're not a lefty you really can't drag bunt and lefties at yankee stadium are going to be hitting home runs that's why they're there so i don't know it's a tough predicament it's a weird comment and we'll see how it plays out and if you think that that boone comment is out there wait till <laughs> wait till we get to oh, brian cashman yeah <laughs> i think we're pretty effing good personally and i'm proud of our people cashman said that in his press conference the other day. He also, that was one of about six quotes. Brian Cashman says he gets a kick out of people calling the Joey Gallo and Sonny Gray trades bad. <laughs> Brian Cashman says he believes one of the things Yankees are victimized with trades that don't work out is they're trying to go for it. Brian Cashman, well, that one's about the uh, what they need. There's one more that was big. On the Yankees' struggles last year, if you don't make injuries a significant reason, it is. You want to say it's an excuse, it's a fact. He's blaming injuries for this season. He's laughing at... He, he He thinks it's funny that people think that trades he's made are bad. And he thinks the Yankees are a great team right now. Brian, I mean, you you were the one who texted our, our group chat about these. like, we have to include this right after it happened. You obviously have a strong opinion about these comments. Let us hear it. Brendan... I saw the initial like notification come up that Brian Cashman says 
he thinks the Yankees are pretty effing good personally. And I thought like, oh, this is this is satire. Like <laughs> this is this is like satire sports network, like getting getting me and being like, whatever, this is some like fake Twitter account. This, that's imper- that's yeah, I thought I got pores for a second. <laughs> yeah. Like they're impersonating talking Yanks and then you look and say, Oh no, he actually said this after going eighty two and eighty where you had the one of the worst offenses in the entire major leagues. Are like are you serious? The arrogance that Brian Cashman displayed in that interview where he's just like scuffing at people like, oh, right. how could you think our process is wrong? And how could you think that we're not on top of things? And like we're, we're not analytically driven and blah, 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 blah. You can't criticize the Joey Gallo trade because playoff teams picked him up after, but the playoff teams that picked him up after never played him in the playoffs. So what's the ar- what's the argument there? And he gets mad about the Sonny Gray trade and getting criticized for that, but you brought him here, and then he went to the Reds, and he said that the Yankees coaches kind of messed with his pitch mix a little bit, and he struggled, and then he went somewhere else and found more success. So I just, I don't, I don't get why he's getting so defensive. That's like you're you're Brian Cashman, you're the GM of the New York Yankees. You don't need to put up this wall and just start like defending like nonstop, like defend, defend, defend. You don't have to. And it's so weird too because Hal Steinbrenner spoke earlier in the day and had the tone of, Yeah, this was a disaster. Like, we're not proud of this, we're not happy, like changes are gonna be made and Cashman did say those things too, but also kind of came at people and was like, Well, why are you questioning our process? Well, you had an awful end to the year in 2022, and it carried over in 23. So, yeah, I think people have a right to criticize, and you're not the be-all and end-all. You're not like this guru that everyone looks at as a great executive anymore. You're struggling to put together a playoff team with a $300 million payroll. So a, a lot of those quotes were just extremely, extremely frustrating, and I was in disbelief reading all of them last night. What I think is happening is that social media is creeping into the Yankees front office for the you first time in a long time. You can't let Twitter right. people just get in your head. I don't know why he's resorting to this. I know. And it feels like maybe they have to put up that wall that you're talking about, raise their egos a little bit. I, it's been a problem. Yankee fans know it's a problem. I'm going to say some names to you, Brian, and please don't leave the segment. I'll try not to. Miguel Andujar, Greg Bird, Jackson Frazier, Estevan Florial. <laughs> Formerly Clint Frazier. Ty- yeah, right. Tyler Wade, Rob Repsnyder, Tyler Austin, all top 10 prospects sure. in the Yankee system. Jorge Mateo, Thyro Estrada. How are they doing on the Orioles and the Giants, not the Yankees? All those other guys I named before, where are they? So player development is a thing that, that fans have a right to kind of be upset about, I think, on the Yankees' side. I think negligence is something that a lot of Yankee fans have a lot of right to be angry about. Anthony Rizzo gets hurt in May. It takes until August to figure out something's wrong with him. Anthony Volpe, Tyler Wells, the whole minor league coach situation. There, There's problems on the inside. There's problems on the inside of every team, of course. But this is the New York Yankees, and they have a lot of expectations, and those expectations are not meeting the reality. Brian, I know, I know, I know. He He's, like, living in a different world, yeah. Brian Cashman. Like, what are you seeing in this Yankee team that we are not seeing? What are you seeing in the player development? And listen, I think Volpe is going to be great next year. Mm-hmm. But it's just, yeah, you mentioned all those pieces, like the Andujars and the 
Clint Frazier's and the Chance Adams and whoever and whoever, all these players that were mm-hmm. untouchable in trade talks because they're going to come up and make right. a huge impact for us. We can't sign Bryce Harper because we have right. Clint Frazier in right field for <laughs> yep. the future. It's just crazy. It's just crazy that he thinks the Yankees are on top of the world when they're really not. You can't say this after the year they just had. And he is getting destroyed in the newspapers and everything about all these quotes and deservedly so. And a lot of this, right, really quick, I think this is a guy talking from the mindset that he knows he has a lifetime contract. Yeah. That's where this comes from. But I also saw another comment on Twitter that maybe he's talking in the sense that he may have gotten like ripped in like these meetings that like these the Yankees were having where they looked internally. I don't know, but yeah. the whole thing just really it's just really weird because Cashman's been like very level headed and just has kind of brushed the criticism off and just like weirdly yesterday he decided to just come out swinging at Dude everybody. Snapped, yeah. Joel Sherman was there. Like, snapping yeah, he at he he got into it with Joel <laughs> Sherman. He really <laughs> had a back and forth with them. Well, it was listen, crazy. Listen, here's here's my two cents. If if you were to make moves like this Joey Gallo trade, like this Sonny Gray trade, that that happened every so often. If it happens once or twice, then you can get a little upset if the fans are calling you out for it. Then you're like, okay, I made one mistake, but like, look at all these successes. That's not the case. He, Yes, he's made moves and free agency and everything, but the list, the all the players you listed off, I mean, if it happens that consistently, the player development in this Yankee system, if it happens that consistently... You can't get mad when when people are calling you out. It's also really funny that he brought he just he only brought up the Gallo and right. Sonny Gray trades, and he didn't even bring up the fact that yes, after twenty twenty one, the Yankees needed to make big changes in the off season, but the big change was trading for Josh Donaldson. Mm-hmm. He, he, he didn't he didn't Ooh. even he, he didn't even bring that one up. So <laughs> you, you talk about Gallo and Sonny Gray, but I think him not bringing that up shows that oh yeah, maybe he was wrong, and that was a, that was a big swing and a miss there, Brian. Really big. I think another thing, too, there's so much contract money wrapped up in this Yankees team. Stanton's contract, 11 years, 300, whatever, million. I don't know the exact number off the top of my head. Teams aren't going to bite for that. DJ LeMahieu, six years at whatever he got. Teams are not going to just say, oh, let me buy that off your hands. Oh, Stanton's doing so well. I need a power bat. You know, the Yankees have kind of found themselves in... No one wants to say rebuild mode with the Yankees. Those two words don't mix. It's like oil and water, but... I don't know. It might. I don't want to say it's time for a rebuild. I I know you don't want to hear that, but where are we going with this Yankees team? They're just in a weird spot where, yeah, they have they have a lot of money tied down to players that are getting older, and you just have to question like, are major changes coming? Because history would show that they're not. Mm -hmm. And Hal Steinbrenner said that, yeah, or he kind of implied. I watched a John Boy video on this after where they reacted to his comments and. They kind of alluded to that Hal Steinbrenner said, yeah, big changes are coming, but they might not seem like big changes to everyone else, but they're big changes in the eyes of me and Aaron Judge. So it's weird. Like, trust him. Trust him. So like, big is, changes. Is, is Judge about to become like LeBron as like GM of the Lakers? Like, I don't know. There's a lot to figure out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we can definitely see. I just Before we move on, I want to – we talked a lot about um, his, his big comment. I think we're pretty effing good personally, but I want to – I want to also go into the, uh, if you don't make injuries a significant reason, it is. You want to say it's an excuse, it's a fact. You can't blame a season on injuries. Yes, you may have a bunch of injuries, but every team deals with stuff like that. You can't blame your whole season on players getting injured. 
And I, I think that's what he's doing. I know that we can't ignore that Aaron Judge got hurt and the Yankees got worse after that. Because obviously, if you're yes. taking a 60 home run hitter out of your lineup, that's going to really affect you offensively. But I think like you can't use it as an excuse because like the way that it did affect the lineup where, okay, one hitter is not there anymore and now they can't produce like anything offensively. So that shouldn't be the case, especially for a team that has a payroll as high as the Yankees. They need more out of their offense and stop it. Like Teams don't lose players of the caliber of Aaron Judge, but every team deals with injuries. This isn't like something new. And the Yankees in years past, they've been able to work through injuries and at least get to the playoffs, whereas this year they weren't. And this isn't the first year that Aaron Judge has been hurt and but now this year they struggled. So that was another quote that really angered me, Brendan. That that judge injury was a fluke. You know, if we spun a roulette wheel, I'm sure it would not land on a judge injury again. It was a very fluke injury. Right. He he <laughs> hurt his toe running into an outfield wall that didn't have padding. Where I think you could maybe make an assumption where I know the Harrison Bader, Jordan Montgomery trade at the time seemed not as bad. But you look back, Montas was hurt, Cortez was hurt. They really could have used Montgomery down the stretch in their pitching rotation. So, again, injuries, yeah, you cannot blame injuries, of course, but you can blame bad decisions from trades, I think. You can. You can. It's tough. It's I mean, a really tough this, situation. This Yankees team, it's it's a whole mess right now. I mean, they got time before next season. Yeah. They got to kind of kind of lock in. But we're going to head down to Queens. Dan, this is your turn now. The Mets hired Carlos Mendoza from the Yankees. He was their bench coach, now the Mets manager. He has some managing experience in the minor league system of the Yankees. Dan, how do you feel about this hiring? Listen, I am a little upset because I was told as a Mets fan, Buck Showalter would be here another year. You get rid of Buck Showalter. I'm like, okay, Stearns is coming in, David Stearns. And I was told that Craig Council would follow him right along because they both were under the Brewers organization for all these years and everything was going to be good. And we saw what transpired this week. We'll, get, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but Craig Council is not the manager of the Mets. He's the manager of the Cubs. And we get stuck with Carlos Mendoza. Spent 15 years with the Yankees, multiple roles, managing the low minor leagues from 2011 to 2012. In the past four seasons, is Aaron Boone's bench coach. Cashman, talked about him, has high praise, structure, discipline when talking about Mendoza. He's bilingual. That's great, too. But I, I'm not so sure... Mets have had four managers in five years now since 2018. Mickey Calloway was a mess. Luis Rojas, he's doing great as your third base coach, but he was not a good manager. Buck Showalter. I loved Buck Showalter. I had no—he was under team control for one more year. It made no sense to me. If this year was going to be a rebuild year or a down year, okay, keep Buck, and then, you know, 2025, get a new coach. Sure. I don't understand the whole mindset— Listen, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I have nothing to go off of, frankly. I have nothing. So I'm going to be happy. I'll be you know, positive on Twitter saying, you know, let's go. Like, this is great. But I really don't know. Intrinsically in my heart, I do not know where this is going to go. I hope that he pushes the right buttons. I know analytics are a big thing. A lot of people speak highly of him who have worked with him. So I hope he can bring that same mentality to the Mets. It seems like they're keeping Jeremy Hefner, our pitching coach as well, who I honestly have no problems with. So... 
Carlos Mendoza, a little bit weird. Uh, I would have liked Council, but again, as the the news started to break and Council, it didn't really seem like he wanted to be in New York, and that's when I cut the line. I'm like, all right, uh, if you don't want to be here, then all signs are pointing to someone else. And that other person was Carlos Mendoza. So the the four managers in the last five years for the Mets, that doesn't include Carlos Beltran, right? Right. We're, yeah, we're, yeah. Not, we're not including him. <laughs> that's right, yeah. But yeah, there's been, a, there's been a lot of like turnover for the Mets mm-hmm. and just like a lot a revolving door of like Luis Rojas is here and Mickey Calloway, Buck Showalter, now here's Carlos Mendoza. I was really surprised when they said Buck Showalter was not coming back because like you said, there was another year of control and... I don't. I wouldn't credit to the shortcomings that came this year to be his fault, but they get Carlos Mendoza. Carlos Mendoza has been the guy who has managed games when Aaron Boone gets ejected, so he's got some managerial experience, and he's got four years to learn from the best, I guess, as we're gonna say it. So he does. He's he's been involved in New York a lot, so I do think he does know what comes with being in the scrutiny of the fan base. So I don't think he's going to really crumble with the media. And like you said, a lot of the people that have worked with him spoke very highly of him. It was one of the things that Brian Cashman used as a defense mechanism where, yeah, are the people in this room are great that everyone wants to poach them from us, which is a decent point. And, yeah, they, the Mets wanted the Yankees bench coach, and they got him. So... I think Mendoza, you got to give him some time to figure it out. Obviously, there were more appealing alternatives like Craig Council available, but I think just with the way that that was going and him possibly wanting like more proximity to where he lived, and the Cubs offered him a lot of money too, and got their ma- and just canned their manager to make room for him there, <laughs> which is crazy. So the Cubs moved heaven and earth to get him. So fair play to them, but the Mets. Carlos Mendoza, I mean, we'll, we'll just see. There's, there's a whole lot going on, but he's got some experience as a bench coach for the Yankees, so we'll see if he can carry any of that over to the Mets. To fire a guy in Buck Showalter, one on the last day of the season, basically in the public eye, I don't think that was right. I, I don't think mm-hmm. that was right at all. He won manager of the year four times with four different teams. Okay, This guy knows how to manage. It's unfortunate he's never won a ring. With Ron Washington going to the Angels today, uh, Buck Showalter was one of their leading candidates, so I have no idea where Buck Showalter is going to end up. I know you said Houston, which is very interesting, but I don't know. It, it's just very frustrating. This Mets team seemed to respond well to Buck Showalter. They liked the old coach in there. They liked the mentality that he brought. I don't know why. Council would have been great, a little bit younger, but again, I don't think the Mets respond well to these younger-type managers. I really don't think they're built that way. You saw Lindor's kid. They adored Buck Showalter. They loved having him around. The team responded so well to him. I don't. I, I really don't know why David Stearns, I, he's a baseball nerd. Uh, he's one of those people, analytics. Maybe just Buck Showalter didn't fit the bill. It's unfortunate, but Carlos Mendoza, we're going to give you the shot here in New York. And listen, expectations, I, I don't know what to expect. I would like a wild card berth again. That'd be cool. I don't expect us to win the division, especially with Philadelphia and the Braves in there. But I don't know. Carlos Mendoza, let's go. I think the the one stipulation with this is that when you're hiring a guy who's taking on his first big league managing role is that they're obviously they're going to need some time to kind of settle down and kind of figure out the ropes. And the Mets organization has proven in the past few years that they're not willing to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the past three managers between Showalter, Rojas, and Mickey Calloway, they only la- each of them only lasted two years. And this is after we look at Showalter. Two years ago, they were a 100-win team. Right. And then they have a Daniel this year, and he's out. And so I think that's the one thing that this Mets organization doesn't like doing 
is is waiting around. And I think we can say that we can say that about a lot of teams, but New York baseball teams specifically, they don't want to wait around. They want to win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the the problem with this hire is that you're gonna have to wait around for a bit. Yeah. You're gonna have to wait around a year. Unfortunately, I mean that's kind of what we were told, right? We're not gonna be as competitive in 2024. To me, I never believed any of that. I still believe Otani out for pitching. Okay, it all lines up. Like, listen, I'm delusional in that sense. Believe me, but I I don't know. I don't really know what to think. It it really is based off of who the Mets go out and get this off season. If we're told, you know, we're not going to be as competitive as we once thought. Okay, fine. But if you're still going to go out there and look at Yamamoto as one of your guys to go get, then you better have a manager in place that's ready to go from day one. I, I can't be waiting around. I, I can't take until June to start picking it up. New York here does not respond well to that. Brian, you can attest. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's a very short leash around this town. Very short. Yeah, it it really is. New York is very very picky about their sports teams, and they 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 want it done now. They want it done now. And you guys you guys mentioned it. The name Craig Council. Mm. He signs a five-year deal with $40 million with the Cubs. The bag. David Ross was fired immediately. Um, Council leaves the Brewers to go to the Cubs, who are a division rival. Uh, the Cubs finished nine games back of the Brewers in the NL Central, one game back of the wild card this year. He says he made the move because he needed a new challenge, and part of the reason he chose the Cubs was because of how close they were to where he was. Craig Council, now in Chicago, taking a different team in the division, a, 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 a rival now. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think of this move? I thought it was weird. One within the division is absolutely crazy to me. Like, that's just hilarious. I, I don't even know. Like, uh, it's just weird. One and nine in his last 10 playoff games, okay? I didn't really realize that, but I knew he wasn't as good because the Brewers haven't been as good in the playoffs. So, when the whole narrative of him coming to New York was kind of fading away, people were kind of bringing out these facts. Like, he's not really that good of a manager, believe it or not. But he got the bag to his credit, and certainly the reason he went to Chicago over New York was because he lives in Wisconsin, he played at Notre Dame, his sons play college at Minnesota and Michigan, and he has two daughters in high school in Wisconsin. So it's a lot to uproot your family and move them into New York. Uh, I get that would have been a hard transition for him. And credit to him that he found the team that was willing to pay the most money. Frankly, the Cubs are suckers for that. Uh, that's a lot of money to give to a, a Craig Council, who's 1-9 in nine in 10 playoff games. Whether they go on to win that NL Central, which is abysmal every single year, who knows? But I still like the Reds, personally. But, again, it's going to be tough. It's going to be a battle. The Red, I mean, the Reds might make a couple of trades this offseason. So they that's, could. that's something that... Is interesting tra- trading off pieces. That is that division's abysmal, though. Yeah, it's it's always going to be a division that's up for the taking. And I was like shocked when I saw he went to the Cubs because <laughs> the Cubs had a manager. Right. Like when I saw the Ken Rosenthal tweet that uh, Craig Council is going to go to a team with a manager. Something. It was oh, something. Be a bench coach. Right? It was something. So I was like, oh, is that a typo? That means he's <laughs> going somewhere with a managerial open and opening and it was like no he's going to a team that has a manager right now so david ross just kind of gets called uh gets told yeah uh <laughs> see you later thanks <laughs> thanks for your service this year we had we had a good season but bye which is it was bizarre but they're paying council a lot of money and council is a good manager i i would hold off on the he's not great in big type playoff of talks games, yeah. yeah but I don't know. We'll have to see. But Council's the guy for the Mets uh, against all—or not the Mets, the Cubs—against <laughs> all odds. So 
yeah, we'll just have to see what he does and if he can take that team any further. It's a big thing in this town. You want to feel a sense of assurance that the person you're playing with or getting coached by wants to be in the position that they're in. Bruce Bochy wanted to be in Texas. Aaron Boone wants to be in New York. Buck Showalter wanted to be in New York. I mean, it proved, you know, Mendoza seems like he wants the job. Council seems like he's the right fit for Chicago and more power to him. Yeah, and, and Council... Now with Chicago, he's made the playoffs five of the last six years. He's bringing a winning atmosphere into Chicago. Does not have much playoff success, but he's proven that he can get there, and that's where the Cubs are at right now. They just need to get there. Before we end the show, there's one more big thing we need to hit, and that's Shohei Otani. We have to. We we cannot end this show without discussing where we think Shohei Otani will live. We'll 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 where is we'll he gonna have his residence? And we'll, right. and we'll play. Seven, we'll live and we'll play. What city will Shohei Otani live in next year? Brian, you can go first. So I mean, obviously, there's a lot of options. The Dodgers are always going to be there. The Mets love to spend money. Maybe he goes somewhere. I think I saw that the Cubs are going to make a big run at him. I saw that, that was a rumor, but. It, again, there's who's not going to make a run at Shohei Otani? It's Shohei. It's right. the best free agent to hit the market that you're ever probably ever going to see. So it's really going to be a lot of fun. And I wonder how long he's going to take to make this decision too. But my pick, and I've kind of stuck with this ever since the All-Star game, would be Seattle. Mm. I think as a dark horse, the Seattle Mariners are going to get him because – they don't have a big payroll, so they have the resources available to spend the money. The fan base seems ready to embrace him. There's some sort of connection with like Ichiro's been there before and been successful, so can they bring Otani over and can he have the same impact over there? So there's a lot that kind of lines up. I know the Dodgers and the Mets and the teams that are going to spend money are going to be the teams that kind of take over as the favorites, but... Don't sleep on the Seattle Mariners, man. I think they could seriously make a run, and Otani could be a really good fit over there. I, I do like your take on Seattle. I did have them as one of the teams that I thought. But, yeah, the the, re- the reception that he got mm-hmm. was unbelievable. Like, you could tell they were making the pitch already. Yeah, like, right? It, it, was, it was basically set in stone. I mean, the Dodgers, of course, the Mets, of course, the Yankees, of course. I, I don't know. It's going to be tough. Uh, to me, I, I don't know. It, the Mets, I always got to throw in there. They spend the most money. The Metropolitan Park, I don't know if you guys just saw the new Mets uh, layout. The design, yeah. 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 So all these things are done with the intention of having a pitch in place to bring someone in. I don't know. I could see him on the Dodgers very well. They have the most money, close to home, the whole nine. He's a player we've never before seen. It's going to be very interesting. But another fact, too, there's a lot of pressure on Otani that we don't realize to take the most amount of money from mm-hmm. the Baseball Players Association. They're going to look at him and say, you're the crown jewel. You're the you're the unicorn in this sport we've never seen before. Take the most money That's that you point. can. Yeah. You have to or you're otherwise going to be looked at. You're selling yourself short. So, again, I don't know. It's going to be tough. There's a couple other uh, free agents around the league we could talk about too, but Otani's the main one. I think Otani's going to stay on the West Coast. I'm going to be boring. I'm going to take the Dodgers. Yeah. They have money to spend. They don't have a lot of holes. If you look at the team this next year, J.D. Martinez is leaving. He was their, their DH, DH type spot of is guy. Open. The DH spot is now open for Otani. I think he'll end up in L.A. He'll be playing for the Dodgers next year. What a show we had for y'all today. Unfortunately, oh, it was action-packed. Really oh, it was a lot. It was a pleasure to come on. 
talk about what happened this season. Uh, but unfortunately, that's going to do it for us today. For those of you at home, thank you for tuning in. If you want to listen to other episodes, you can catch them on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. The sports director of WFUV is Bobby Chafferdini. From Brian Raybex, Dan Bartels, and Tucker Austin behind the scenes, I'm Brendan Shorey saying so long. Nosebleeds is a production of WFUV Sports.